your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. If you need a handout tonight, Isaiah has a few extra copies if you'd like one. So if you slip your hand up, he can get that to you. Anybody need a copy of the outline tonight? And so I've mentioned before, if you're watching online or here, if you don't have all the outlines, we've gone book by book through the Bible. And so give a basic overview of the book. And so we're on 1 Thessalonians. We're almost through it all. Need a couple back there, Isaiah, and so that'll be good. And we will, in a few months, finish up. And so does anyone know off the top of their head what book of the, what number First Thessalonians is? I don't. It's in the 50s, I know that. It's in the 50s. So I know there's 66 overall, and so we're getting towards the end. And uh, Brother Jay mentioned... Uh, you got to understand, Brother Jay, once you're family, you're always family. So you might move, you might move on, but you're still, you're still going to be a part of us. Don't think that you're not. You don't get off that easy. So we're kind of like the, um, that cousin that just doesn't go away. That's kind of like what we're like around here. So we'll, we'll bug you. And I got those. Th- that's the police coming. You're all in church tonight, and you shouldn't be here tonight. No, I'm just kidding. And so um, anyways, 1 Thessalonians. And what a great book of the Bible that we're going to study tonight. And um, in all honesty, pastoring now about 10 years, a little over 10 years now. And I thought when I first started pastoring, I thought, you know, what's it going to be? Am I going to do more weddings or funerals? And I've done way more funerals than I have weddings. I think I've done six weddings. I get very nervous doing a wedding. Funerals, I've, got, I've done so many of them. Not that you ever get used to them, but you just... I'm more comfortable in that setting than even a wedding. And most of the time when I do one, I always go to 1 Thessalonians. It's the book that I go to. And um, that just reminded me, in case if some of you didn't hear, right after Christmas, the camping family, haven't, they haven't been in church in a while. I know um, Johnny and her health and things. And then Roger passed away right after Christmas. And uh, literally three days later, Johnny passed away. And so they both literally passed away right after one another. I talked to their daughter today, and we got to talk some. We're going to have a, um, a um, kind of like an open house come at, from the 30th. So January 30th, that's Saturday, from 10 to 1 at 1 o'clock. Those who, that will be the memorial service we'll have for both of them at the same time. And I'm really, you look at it, it's tough when you see people go. And Roger, no one thought that Roger would go. Roger was healthy, strong, and... All of a sudden, he just went downhill very quick, but Johnny's been in the hospital bed and hasn't been able, hasn't had any feeling from the waist down for two years. Can you imagine what that first breath must have been like in heaven? No more hospital bed, no more pain, reunited with her husband that three days she had been without. Thank God for heaven. But that's where this passage of scripture is so powerful and so wonderful to us. Because... I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the book, and then I'm going to dive into it tonight. And uh, then we'll, we'll see how far we get. I titled tonight, 1 Thessalonians, His Soon Return Should Change Us. We should be ready for him to come. We should be watchful. The Bible talks about that. And, you know, looking at our world today, it seems like every day I feel like we're getting closer and closer. In all honesty, we are. Service started at 6.30. I can guarantee you this tonight. We are 25 minutes closer to the Lord returning than what we are when the service started tonight. And he's coming. He is coming again. And tonight we look at this passage of Scripture. I'll give you a little background. 
And then we'll dive into some thoughts about this passage of Scripture. We look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and we look at verse number 1. The Bible tells us, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Father, I pray that tonight that you bless the next few minutes that we have, and I pray that you just meet with us and work in our service tonight in a special way. Bless those who are watching online tonight as well. And I pray just remove our distractions for a little bit of time tonight and we could get some blessed thoughts from this book tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I could probably spend several months going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So going through five chapters in 35 minutes, you're not going to get a super in-depth thing. But I, I hope that you'll just pay attention to get some things tonight. We see right away that Paul, and you see Silvanus, that's the Latin form of Silas. So it's Paul and Silas. This is the second missionary journey. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas split after the first one because John Mark. And so this was written, 1 Thessalonians was written during Paul's second missionary journey. That's the first blank for you there. And so that's when this was written. You can kind of see, I put in your notes there a map, and it gives you a map of all the places that Paul traveled on that second missionary journey. And you can see all the different, you see Thessalonica up on the left-hand side in Macedonia there. And so um, what happened was in Antioch, and you can see Antioch in your map as you go through, you see Paul and Barnabas, that's where they parted ways over John Mark. And Paul took Silas with, with him. And then in Lystra, he, he got, um, what's his name, Timothy went along. And Luke is also with them, and so that's about... We see this about the time that this was written. Now, the church in Thessalonica, if we're going to understand it real well, we need to go back and see when it started. So hold your place here in 1 Thessalonians and go with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I want you to see when the church in Thessalonica started. Acts 17 and verse number 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphilus, and however you want to say it, Apollyon, uh, and you say, I could say that better, then you get up here and you say it. And so, Ryan, how would you say that one? Apoll, Apolliona? Say it again. Apollo See how well you make that sound? You make me sick that you can say them that well. And uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks of the great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. So we see in this passage here, we see for about, about a month's time, they went through so many key doctrines with these people here, and this is how the church in Thessalonica began. And so what we see as we look at First and Second Thessalonians, we see 
even greater detail into some doctrine. And he really goes deep into the second coming. And we'll talk in uh, the rapture. We'll talk about that here in just a couple minutes. But what we see happens is, look at verse number 5 of the same passage. Chapter 17 of Acts. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, saying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason had received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, which coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So what we see is Paul's in the middle of teaching these people a lot of things. And when that happens, some people didn't like it. There got to be a little bit of an uproar there, and some trouble got stirred, and so Paul left quickly from there. So Paul didn't get to finish all that doctrine that he was teaching them. And so he moves on from there, and so um, number two, if you're keeping track with those notes, the account of the founding of the church is found in Acts 17. We just read that there. And so the Jewish leaders drove them out of town, and they continued on. They went to Berea, they went to Athens, and then they went to Corinth. In Corinth, while they were in Corinth, that's when Paul wrote to those in Thessalonica. And the, the, we see the first book of Thessalonians written at that time. Now, when we think about the city of Thessalonica, I'm not going to give you a lot of details, but the third point here is that Thessalonica was founded more than 2,000 years ago. You know, we mentioned before how Remember, Philippi was named after, remember, the king Philip did it after himself. Now this one was, when we look at the city of Thessalonica, it was found in 315 B.C. And um, a general under Alexander the Great married Alexander the Great's half-sister, and he named the city after her. So that's a little bit better than naming the city after yourself, but still that's where the name comes from. And if you didn't care to know that, you get to know it now. And now you learn something that not a whole lot of people know. It was a very important city. Highways went through there. And uh, with that, it was along the sea. It was a busy city, a center of trade and commerce. It was an important city that a lot of things happened through. And then as we look at that, this was probably, the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, was probably the first book that Paul wrote. And so that should be number four. Are you falling asleep on me back there, Joe? He's half asleep back there. It's, I know it's Wednesday night, you worked all day. And so this book was one of the first early letters, probably the first one. And you say, well, do you know for sure? No, when you get to heaven, you ask Paul and you can find out from him if it was or not. And uh, these two books were written separately, First and Second Thessalonians, but possibly only about a month apart from one another. And so, just some thoughts there on all of that. I think the key verse, we're going to look for a key verse, and lots of different people would have different key verses, so just because I give you a key verse, you could say, well, I think this is the key verse. Then that's fine, it's the key verse. And when you study it and you do a Bible study for someone, you tell them that was the key verse. But chapter 4, verse number 1 of 1 Thessalonians, the Bible tells us, Furthermore, 
Then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please the Lord, so ye would abound more and more. What a verse, what a powerful verse there. And so important, and that should be all of our goals. As you, you know, as you come to church, as you stay faithful to God, and you learn how you're supposed to walk in the Lord, my prayer is that you would abound and do it more and more. And that's what Paul was telling them here in Thessalonica. The book is very simple, simple to give you an outline for it. There are two points to the outline. It's a simple outline, and then I'm going to give you some thoughts to grab your attention the rest of the evening. But I'd break it down just very simply. Number one would be the personal side of things, chapter one through chapter number three. And you kind of see Paul talking about things. In chapter three, Timothy gives a report because what happens is when Paul rushes out of there because of all the persecution things going on and, and him and uh, Silas leave, he ends up sending Timothy back. Well, Timothy's there, he hears about what's going on, and he brings to Paul the great report of what's going on. And in fact, that's how Paul knows that he needs to write and send back some thoughts to the church there. It's not like they had email back in those days, or that they had Facebook or Twitter or any of those things. They didn't have TV, they didn't have a phone. So, you know, and you know, nowadays you look at it, they keep saying, they're talking about how conservatives are being silenced on certain things. You don't need Twitter, you don't need Facebook. Get a pigeon, just send it back and forth. That will still work. There's still mail. You can put a stamp on a letter. I know you're not used to that, but that still works. It's still available. I'm teasing when I say all that, but we see just Paul through chapters one through three, we just see a lot of personal things. You look at chapter one where we were, and Paul just says in verse two, we thank God, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brother and beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost." And so you see chapters 1 through 3 is very personal, and Paul really goes into some things. And then Paul goes away from the personal. As we saw, remember we read chapter 4, verse 1 a few minutes ago? And Paul says there, as I've taught you, you need to do those things more and more. It goes to the practical side of the book, chapters 4 and chapter 5. And that's basically the breakdown of the book of 1 Thessalonians. You say, all right, good, we can go home. Not yet. You don't come to... Sometimes, you got do you come to church just to check in and check out, or you come to church to stay for a while? That's, that's how it should be, right? And so, when we think about these things, I want you to look with me at verse number 7, and verse 7 through 10, and just see a couple of things here. And then we'll um, move on, and I'll give you some thoughts. Look at verse number 7. It says, So that ye were examples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so we need not speak anything. The church in Thessalonica, people knew of this church and what they were doing. And it says in verse number 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols 
to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You'll notice one of the things that Paul says about this church is really found back in verse number 3. Look at verse 3, chapter 1 here. Remembering without ceasing, look at what it says here, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The past, the present, the future. The past, their faith. The present, their love. Their future, the hope that they had going forward. You think about faith looks back to the crucified Savior. Love looks to a crowned Savior. And hope looks to a coming Savior. Since Paul had to leave so quick, he didn't get to give them all the practical things that they needed. And, that was, and that's one of the things I love about Paul. He, was so, he taught people the doctrine of the Word of God, and we need that today. There are a lot of preachers out there that don't teach the doctrines of the Word of God, and it's no wonder why the Bible talks about as the, as the time goes on, there are going to be many that fall away, right? And they're going to believe this or believe that. It's because they're not taught the doctrine of the Word of God. So one of the questions that came up and one of the things that, that happened was some of the believers in Thessalonica were wondering, well, what about our loved ones who have passed on already? Are they missing out on the blessing? What happens to them? Are they going to be partakers of heaven? How does that all work? They weren't sure how that should be. And so Paul writes this book of 1 Thessalonians with that in mind for their loved ones and how they should view eternity, how they should view Christ coming again. And so something that's very interesting to me is the fact that every chapter, the last couple of verses, finishes with a note about the soon return of Christ and how it should affect our everyday life in every chapter. I'm going to give you tonight five thoughts, from each, one from each chapter, the final verses of each chapter, and give you some practical thoughts about how that his soon return should lead us to several things. Number one, should lead to the assurance of our salvation. Should lead to the assurance of our salvation. Look at verse number 10 of chapter number 1. It says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You notice whom God raised from the dead. When you think of the resurrection, if Christ did not rise from the dead, we would be still in our sins, right? And if he's not, think about this, but since he's risen, he's coming again. And since he's coming again, we believe that we have a blessed hope. And we see that verse right before our eyes, the fact that he's delivered us from the wrath to come. Sunday nights, we're going through the book of Romans. We're studying the wrath of God. Through salvation, we don't have to suffer that wrath. And because of that, and as we look at this tonight, his soon return should lead us to assurance of our salvation. Number two, his soon return should lead us to be witnesses for him. 
chapter number 2. Look at verse number 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown or rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Think about that one there for a minute. Think about the fact that what if Paul wouldn't have gone to that city? What if Paul wouldn't have continued on sharing the gospel? Paul looks, and you think about this, what crowns will you have in heaven? Think with me tonight. We've studied a few weeks ago on the night of worship of Brother Jay and his family. We looked at the four and twenty elders in Revelation chapter number five, Revelation chapter number four. Talks about how we'll cast our crowns before his feet. Those four and twenty elders represent the saved, us. We see Paul says here, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? You know, what converts will you have in heaven? Who did you lead to get the Lord? Paul's talking about right here, this is his glory and joy, those that he was able to lead and witness to. Are, who have you witnessed to? Who have you shared? Because he's coming. He's coming again. And in light of his soon return, it should lead us to witness. How we need to witness. And you got to understand, what rewards will you have in heaven? There are going to be some Christians who have no rewards in heaven. It's quiet when you talk about that. It's like, Pastor, we're talking about how heaven and how it's going to be a wonderful place. But when you see the nailed prints in his hands and in his feet, we're all going to wish, as that song says, I wish I'd given him more. But even those who gave their lives and died a martyr's death, the disciples, Paul that we're talking about, Peter, you want to talk about any of them, John the Baptist, they all are going to wish they gave him even more. What are we doing for him today? How are we serving him? The fact of his soon coming should challenge us or should change us to tell everyone that we can about his coming. So important. We see number three, that his soon return should lead us to live a holy, faithful, be holy, faithful, and loving Christian living. I don't think I worded that quite right, but we'll, de we'll deal with that. So it should be holy, faithful, loving Christian living. I probably should word that a little bit better. But anyways, go to chapter 3, verse number 12. If my English was always right, it wouldn't be, hey, Ryan, you know how we were talking about some of the kids spelling today on some of those things? They probably get it from me is where they get it from. They're, we, were, we were teasing the teenagers. We were spelling some things out earlier today. And we're like, what school do they go to? Oh, yeah, they go here, don't they? Big Green Baptist Academy. We'll just blame their school before they came here. Or Brother McKee is their teacher anyways. So chapter number 3. And we look at verse number 12, it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The fact of his coming should change the way that we live. We should live more holy lives than what we do in light of his coming. We should be more faithful. What does the verse say in Hebrews? And so much the more as he's day approaching. 
We should be more loving. We should be doing more of the things that God's called us to do in light of Him coming. He's coming. Do you realize He's given us so much? I remember I was in fourth grade, and I went to junior camp for the first time. I really think it was the first time in my life I'd spent the night away from my mom. I don't think I'd ever spent the night away from home before that. I remember we went to the store, and back then in fourth grade, I don't remember as a kid Walmart being a big thing when I was a kid. I know Walmart's ever, and Target, I know we'd go to Target some. For some reason, I remember Kmart a lot more as a kid than, and, you know, and then we'd always come up, my parents loved Fedco, so we'd come up to here in Ontario and go to Fedco a lot. And uh, I, I still don't understand what the draw was of Fedco, thinking back on it, but they love Fedco. We'd go there at least once a month, drive 45 minutes to go to Fedco. And who knew I'd just be living 10 minutes from Fedco, right where it was, where that police station is now. And we'd always just make fun. We'd be driving up the 15 right near Limonite, and uh, it would just smell like cows. We're like, we're close to Chino. That's all I remember as a kid. We're close to Chino. And who knew? Who knew? That's where I'd end up, where it stinks. But anyways... I remember we went shopping. They got me bug spray. They got me, you know, I don't even know, and all sorts, soap, shampoo, had all these clothes, these chains of clothes. Junior camp was only two days long. (laughs) I came home, and I thought my mom would be thrilled. She didn't have to clean one of those clothes. I didn't have to change clothes. I was only gone two days. I didn't get that dirty. Everything's in the suitcase still. The soap was still in the original container. I thought she'd be proud of me saving some money on that. No. She gave me all those things. Why? To use them. And we think that story's a little funny and kind of gross if you really stop to think about it. But in the Christian life, God's given us a suitcase full of things. And the problem is most people are like me as a fourth grade boy. And they leave that suitcase full of everything. And the Lord's going to come. He's going to be like, I've given you so much. What did you do with what I've done? Oh, I just kept it in the suitcase. Oh, I buried it in the ground. I buried my talent in the ground because I knew how you were. Now, if you know how the Lord is, you would take and do something with what he's given to you. That's what the Christian life's about. That's how it should be. Because someday he's coming, and he's given to us so much. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And we could go on a list of things. And when we think of all those things, it's important for us to realize the fact that we should be different because of what he's done for us. Our lives should change. Not only should we, as we see number three, but number four, we should be strong in the face of death. Death is an awful thing. And death is a consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. No one likes death. No one does. Especially a non-believer. In all honesty, like I said, all the funerals that I've done and memorial services, I don't know how someone makes it through one without the Lord. If you don't trust in the Lord and don't know that you have a home in heaven waiting for you, how do you deal with the loss of a loved one? 
I thank God I didn't have to, it wasn't that way for me. Thankful that I got saved at a young age. My parents had me in church. I'm grateful to know that my uncles and aunts were all saved. My grandparents on both sides saved. That doesn't happen always. That's a tough thing when you look at it. And that's one of the things that the believers in Thessalonica, they're, Paul, what happens to our loved ones when they die? When you go to chapter number 4, I want you to see a couple things here. In verse number 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those that sleep, those that have passed on is what that's referring to right there. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. A Christian can be strong in the face of death. Because we have hope. We look at these verses before our eyes, and when we think about it, you know, we say, I've had people ask me that have been in church a long time, how does all this work? The Bible makes it clear. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Someone who dies in Christ, their last breath here on earth is their first breath in eternity with the Lord. Now, sometimes we get a little, well, what happens then? Our loved ones that are in the Lord are with Him. They're with Him. But you say, well, do they have their glorified body yet? You read the Scripture here, and it doesn't sound like it yet. Sounds like that happens at the rapture. They get their glorified body. Their spirit, their soul, it's with the Lord. That's what you've got to understand right now. They're with Him. The dead in Christ rise first. So the body meets the soul, the spirit. And then we which are alive and remain, if we're here when the Lord comes, we all go together to be with the Lord forever. That's what the scripture teaches us here. So we have hope. You know, we think about Johnny and Roger, just think about them just from a couple days ago going to see them again those of you that have lost someone close to you so pastor i don't know if they knew the lord or not i know a lot of people that let that eat at them and eat at them you don't know and after someone passes there's nothing you can do to change anything and you know, some comfort. You never know if one time when they were a kid they went to a vacation Bible school one day and they trusted Christ. Or maybe they didn't, but there's nothing you can do to change that and you can't live thinking that way. 
But I'm so glad to know that those who know the Lord, we're going to see them again. Praise God for that. I can think of many of you in this room. I can think of your husband. I can think of David. I think of your mom and dad, your mom and dad, Gary, you, both of you, your, your parents. Debbie, your, your parents. Bridget, your mom. I can think about a lot of people. Joyce, your parents, and many others. Belinda, your mom just a couple weeks ago. And when I was thinking about for you and your mom just passing away just a couple weeks ago here, I remember, what was it, a couple years ago, you told me that Anthony led her to the Lord. Can you think of anything better than that? In the car. So how tough it is to go through death right now, you got to understand, we're going to be with them longer than when we're without and that's why, if you take your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a second, I want you to see what Paul says in these verses, and that's where these verses really come alive to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you look down at verse number 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You could even go up before that and see how, um, verse 51, by showing you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And that victory comes through Christ. In verse 57, and then Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, as a Christian, it hurts when we love, when we lose someone that we're close to. But we have hope. And we're supposed to take these words of hope and encourage and comfort one another in those moments. And thank God for hope. I'm sure those in Thessalonica were relieved to hear this as Paul was sharing this with them. And then we see lastly tonight, in light of his coming, we need to live sanctified lives. Chapter 5 goes through a list of things. And chapter 5 goes through a lot here. If you go, let's look at the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse number 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light, and the children of the day, and ye are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober." 
For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesies. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Some of you don't take that verse too literal. Save that till you get married. Anyways, we'll leave that one there. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And Paul is showing these young believers in the Lord that there are some things you should do in light of his returning. You're not in darkness. You're a child of light. Don't let his coming catch you off guard. You should be alert and looking for it. One final thought, and I cannot leave 1 Thessalonians without talking about this one verse for a minute. My life verse is verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. I was a 16-year-old boy at a youth conference near downtown L.A. The preacher that night preached a message on how tough ministry is. That was the exact title. And I remember the message exactly, and you're supposed to, and I could quote you word for word several things that was said in that message. When I was a little boy, I always dreamed of preaching. I remember my mom, her health was not the greatest, and so there would be times where Sunday nights we couldn't go to church. So there were times where my younger brother and I, we had our, our little microphone from Radio Shack that had this little karaoke thing, and I would preach at home. I had the, bar, the, the stool that she had there, and I would preach from it. I don't know if the preaching was any good, but as a kid, I always, I, lo- I loved that thought. We had the Lord's Supper. I mean, we had Ritz crackers and grape juice. It didn't get much, but not Ritz crackers, saltine crackers. It was saltines. You know, I don't know if there was yeast in those. There probably was, but as a seven, eight-year-old boy, we just did the best we could, okay? And um, I always felt that that's what I wanted to do. Something that happens, though, to you when you become a teenager, and teens, you probably could relate to this, you start seeing that you have weaknesses, 
and you start being a little bit more realistic with yourself and say, I probably can't do that, or I can't do that. And I went from wanting to preach to where there was no way I could ever do it. I remember in junior high, high school, first couple years of high school, if I ever got up in front of a group of people to do anything, they always laughed. I don't know why. I know I'm funny, and I can tell good jokes, and I'm probably the funniest person in our church with the best sense of humor of anyone in the room. If you don't agree with that, you just don't have a good sense of humor, and that's the problem, but that's okay. And, uh, but literally, I would just get up, and people would laugh. I wasn't trying to be funny. Two months before we went to that youth, actually three months before that youth conference, we had a big science history fair at our school. And by far, I put the most work into it more than anyone. I got the last honorable mention. I came in 10th out of 30. But the work I put in, they told me afterwards, yours was the best, your report was the best, but your speech was awful. It was the truth. It was awful. I could not speak in front of anybody. I would get super nervous. I remember the night that God called me to pastor and to preach. And I told God no. I told him no, no, no. Let me give you a little lesson here. Don't tell God no. Don't do it. Because the things you tell God no to, he, he'll get his way over time. I told the Lord out of Bible college I did not want to work in a Christian school. I hated school when I was in it. Why would I want to work in a Christian school? The three different job offers the Lord had for me were all in a Christian school or to work with horses and ponies, but we've heard stories about that. I didn't want that to happen again. And so um, I went home that night after the youth conference, and I told God, no, I couldn't do it. And I read this passage of Scripture. I don't think I purposely picked it at all, but I got to that verse, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And it kind of like punched me in the face, like, Brian, if I call you to do something, I'm going to help you do it. So the next night I surrendered to what the Lord wanted for my life. I remember over and over again, the first time out of Bible college, we'd only been married, we'd been married, what, seven or eight months, nine months, somewhere in there, go to Caroline's home church, and they're like, we want you to preach tonight. You're called to be a preacher, you can preach. Like, dude, leave me alone. And about, I practiced and I practiced. I spent hours, I mean, I had probably 10 pages of notes, and I thought that sermon Literally, it was on limiting God, Psalm 78. I could quote it for you today. In fact, I think there's a recording of it somewhere. I hope that never surfaces anywhere. 11 minutes, 22 seconds. That was my first message. 11 minutes, 22 seconds. And we'll just say this. I was done preaching on limiting God in eight minutes. And I went to creation. I went to the resurrection. I went through the whole Bible in 11 minutes, 22 seconds. And I remember afterwards, all the people, oh, you did such a good job. And I'm like, you're lying straight through your teeth at me. But in all honesty, I look back at it, and now they just love the fact that it was an 11-minute sermon. <laughs> Who wouldn't love an 11-minute sermon? 
Because that's why they're like, yeah, if you could just keep that. Some of you are thinking tonight, yeah, Pastor, 11 minutes, we would love that. I still struggle to this day getting behind the pulpit and preaching. I wish I could say I get comfortable with it. And you say you're lying to us. I'm being honest with you. Every time I leave this chair, or now that Brother Jay's leaving us, I don't get to leave this chair anymore before I come to preach. I'm all right at the pulpit. But every time I get up from the chair, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And I need you to do it one more time. Every single time. And he's always faithful. You might feel inadequate, and you should, because we're all inadequate for anything that the Lord has for us to do. But I will tell you this, if he calls you to do something, he's faithful enough to help you do what he's called you to do, and don't ever lose sight of that. That's a truth that's helped me, and every time I get behind the pulpit, I still claim it. And that verse changed my life and made it so I could do what God called me to do. And so, what a wonderful book, 1 Thessalonians. Thank God for heaven. Thank God that we'll see our loved ones again. And we need to comfort one another with those words. That's why they were given to us. And let's live in light of his coming and realize he's coming soon. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that he's coming. And let's not have our head in the sand. Let's be looking, prepared, and ready for it. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had tonight in your word, and thank you for being so good to us and for loving us.